From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 59. I'm actually really excited about this show because we had a really good interview where I learned a ton, particularly with respect to the defensive side of the game, which I don't think gets nearly enough love these days. Um, we have a 2019 Rawlings Gold Glove winner um, to really share some awesome wisdom in that, so we're in for a really good show. If you wanna develop faster and train better, you need the best gear. And with that said, we've got some really exciting news for you. The number one baseball brand in the world, Rawlings, has partnered with us at Cressy Sports Performance to make getting the best training gear for you more affordable. Simply head to Rawlings.com and use the coupon code Cressy20, that's C-R-E-S-S-E-Y 20 at checkout, and you'll save 20% off your order. This offer is only valid on select items, but there's a ton of great gear you'll save 20% on that will help you become a better player. So shop now. Again, that's Rawlings.com, R-A-W-L. L-I-N-G-S dot com and enter the coupon code Cressy20, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y 20 at checkout and you'll get 20% off on your order. It's an absolutely awesome baseball gear that we use every day with our pro guys. Today's guest was born and raised in Hawaii and in 2008, his senior year of high school, he was voted Hawaii Baseball Player of the Year. The Minnesota Twins drafted him in the 16th round of the 2008 MLB draft, but he declined their offer, opting instead to attend the University of Hawaii on a baseball scholarship. There, he was a three-time first-team Western Athletic Conference selection and finished his college career with a 358 batting average, 47 doubles, 25 home runs, 145 RBIs, and 53 stolen bases. Additionally, for the summer after his freshman year, he was named MVP of the Cape Cod Baseball League. The St. Louis Cardinals drafted him with a 22nd overall pick in 2011, and he quickly ascended through their minor league ranks, making his major league debut in 2013. The Cardinals named him their minor league player of the year in 2013, and he was also named to their postseason roster, participating in the 2013 World Series. In 2019, he had a career year, setting career highs in average, slugging percentage, stolen bases, and wins above replacement, while also winning his first Rawlings Gold Glove after finishing runner-up at second base for this honor in 2018. In this show, we discuss everything from Hawaiian baseball culture to physical preparation to strategies to improve defense. Please welcome to the show, Colton Wong. Welcome to the show, Colton. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you helping me uh, pass the time while we wait for the world to open back up. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you got you guys are staying out of trouble, staying sane where you're at. Yeah, man. I'm in St. Louis right now. We uh we made the transition, you know, about a month ago to come back up here. You know, yeah. we didn't really know where we were gonna go, but we got our house here, so we just figured, you know, just kind of come up here and hunker down and see, you know, what they say. I was going to say, you of the three options you had, you had Florida, you had Hawaii, and you had St. Louis, and you, you yeah. went somewhat cold weather, so a little change of pace. <laughs> just figure, you know, go in the middle. You know, there you just, go. Just in case I got to go either way. So. That's actually a really good call. All right, so yeah. we, speaking of Hawaii, um, obviously yeah. you're, you're one of the more well-known players that's come out of Hawaii, and I've had a chance to interact with some, got to know Jordan Yamamoto a little bit this year, and mm-hmm. um, you know, saw some guys over the years at Area Code Games, and I was always intrigued at you know, there are a lot of gamers that come out of Hawaii, like guys that really yeah. play the game hard in the right way. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, when, when you do a kind of a Colton Long search on Wikipedia, there are a lot of references to your dad as being like yeah. a well-known baseball guy in Hawaii, not just for you, but a lot of other players. 
speak a little bit to maybe the, the culture of Hawaiian baseball and, and also obviously your, your work with your dad, what he meant for your development. Yeah. You know, the culture in Hawaii, in Hawaii, you know, with baseball, it, it was very slow when I was coming up, you know, obviously you had a few guys, you know, kind of make the transition, um, you know, Kurt, you know, Kurt and Shane, you know, were kind of the two guys, you know, for, for my, you know, at my age that I, I kind of looked up to, I was like, Oh, you know, these, these guys are from Hawaii, mm -hmm. you know, they made it, man, this is incredible. Um, you know, but it was just, you know, being able to be seeing in Hawaii and being able to, you know, get that exposure to scouts and, you know, even colleges was, was the toughest thing ever, you know, and that was my, something that my dad ingrained in me as a little kid. He's like, you know, you're not going to get, you know, all these chances like these kids in the mainland are getting, you know, they're, they're, they can drive to that, that, um, you know, next scouting combine or they can drive, you know, to that next tournament where for us, you know, it was a five, five and a half, six hour plane ride just to get to California. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where my dad told me, he's like, you know, you got to play with that edge, man. You got to understand that, you know, you're not going to get a bunch of opportunities to be in front of scouts. So when you do, you got to make sure that, you know, this counts, you know, so take it as serious as you can. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where it, it stuck with me for a long time, you know, ever since I was a little kid until now, I still play with that chip on my shoulder knowing that, you know, there might be somebody out there who's doubting me or there might be somebody out there who is, uh, you know, their first time watching me play. So I want to make sure that I show these guys that I'm playing the game the right way. And, uh, I'm going to make sure that I do things, you know, so when they watch, they become fans and they're like, you know what, this guy, he goes out there, he might not be the best player, but he's going out there and playing, you know, as hard as he can everything, every single day. And I think, you know, that's kind of the mindset of a lot of Hawaiian kids. You know, we understand, you know, the, the chances of us getting seen is very limited. So when you get your opportunities, you know, you better make the most of it. There's almost like, I, I was just thinking like, um, I saw, I saw Cody Medeiros at, um, at area code games a couple of years ago before the Brewers okay. took him in the first round. And it was like, it was one of the most impressive area code like performances I've ever seen. Like he came and just carved and was mid nineties with a whiteboard slider. And everybody's like, who is this guy? Is, do you think yeah. that kind of the element of surprise kind of works in your favor a little bit coming from there? A little bit, see man. Yeah. A little bit. Cause you know, the thing is like, yeah, we don't get that much exposure, but we get a lot of kids drafted just because they see the raw talent that we have, you know, mm -hmm. and we don't have, you know, the facilities and, and the, and the coaching staff that are just yeah. so far advanced. We just kind of have that old school mentality of putting in work, you know, going out there yeah. and, and just doing what we can, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, I think every single coach always ingrains in their kids, like, you know, of playing the game the right way. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we're very, we're so close to, you know, that Asian, you know, baseball culture mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that hustle in, hustle out, you know, make sure everything is clean on the infield, you know, doing things, you know, the correct way and, and doing it, you know, as a team. And, you know, I think that's something that really helped a lot of Hawaiian kids in uh, playing this game is, you know, we kind of know that, you know, when you play baseball, there's a lot of, you know, discipline that comes with it as well. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting parallel, certainly not uh, weather-wise, but with, with players we see from the Northeast. And mm -hmm. I know in the Northeast, it's really hard to evaluate hitters just because, you know, if you live in Florida, you live in Georgia, you go out in high school ball and you see 90-mile-an-hour arms all the time. You know, they're, yeah. they're on every street corner. You know, if you play in the state of Maine or New Hampshire or Massachusetts, like you're lucky if you see one in a high school calendar year. Obviously, that's exactly. changing now. As we, is that the same in Hawaii where, I mean, you hit 600 your senior year of high school, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you know, if, if Bryce Harper yeah. does that in Las Vegas, everybody knows about it. If you yeah. do it in Hawaii, everybody says, you know, the pitching's questionable, right? Yeah, absolutely. And especially, you know, I was from a smaller island, you know, that most people don't even visit, you know. So, like, I was seeing 82, 83, you know, maybe 85 if, if we were facing a dude, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember my first time I went to an actual, uh, it was, I think it was a PG or a perfect game, you know, top 200 showcase and it was the first time I ever seen somebody throwing above, you know, 85. I was seeing guys in the mid upper nineties, you know, and it was just, it was such an eye opening experience for me, you know, realizing like, Oh man, like, yeah, I'm dominating these guys back at home, but holy, 
I'm just a regular dude in this league right now. So it kind of, when I left that showcase, man, it just opened my eyes to know, like, I got so much more work I got to do. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, these kids, I think playing, you know, at this level, they, they're just so used to it. Where for us, it was like, wow, you know, it was just at, at my age, I was just so caught off guard. I was like, I don't even know if this is something I can pursue. <laughs> As I, as I was reading up, and you referred to like the, the blue collar work ethic, as I was reading up on you and they started talking about your dad, there was a, there was a line about chopping trees for yeah. training. Is that kind of like, was there kind of some off the grid training stuff going on out there? Was it not non-traditional in terms of gym access and all that? Yeah, absolutely. My dad was always about the old school way of doing it. You know, that's how he was brought up, uh, mm-hmm. training. That's how he, he, that's the only way he knew how to train, you know? So yeah. even to the, today, I, you know, I talk with him about you know, the new things that I learned. He's like, ah, I don't want to hear that <laughs> stuff. You know, he loves that old school mentality, man. But honestly, um, yeah, we did a lot of that, a lot of cutting down the trees, you know, in Hawaii, yeah. you, have so, you have, you know, so much trees and stuff. So my dad would like, he would buy us these, you know, smaller axes and, and shape them into like a baseball handle. And me and my brother would go out there and we'd cut down, you know, one or two trees a day and then go and then we'd go, you know, practice. And it, for him, he just was like, you know, I don't want you guys lifting weights at a young age, but I feel like, you know, hitting this tree with an axe and being able to cut it down, you're going to get satisfaction, you know, that you did something, but you're also building strength at the same time. You know, it's, and you, you have a younger brother that made it to Pro Bowl as well. So it yeah. it's obviously worked out well. I'm curious. I'm curious. I, I had this, I was just joking with this, um, with, with Mitch Hanniger recently, but, um, I talked to Aaron Judge this spring training and, and Aaron's a younger brother by four years. I'm a younger brother by four years and we were, we were the better athletes in our family. You, just, you know, you have older <laughs> brothers to beat you up. Yep. Did, were you hard on your little brother? Like, did you help him along or was it one of those things where it was a different dynamic? No, I was, I was definitely hard on my little brother. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I definitely, even to today, I try and help him out. You know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, he's been with me since day one, man. And he was kind of yeah. like, you know, when I was going through the transitions of, you know, going to high school and college, he was kind of like my little test dummy mm-hmm. to work out with me, you know, and just kind of give me that break. And, and, you know, it was just one of those things where, you know, we just kind of built this chemistry together, just mm-hmm. always being, you know, on the field. And, um, you know, it was one of those things now, like I just try to do whatever I can to, to pass, you know, as much information as I can so that, you know, when he's making that transition to the big leagues, it's not as hard as it was for me. I got you. So speaking of transitions, you were drafted out of high school, but you chose not to sign. I mean, for yeah. you, was it, was it purely financial or do you feel like there were things that you needed to, to go to college to learn, you know, and make that the right decision for you? Yeah, man, I think it was both, you know, obviously um, I got drafted in the 16th round. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were offering me 75 K at the time. And I told him, you know, if you guys give me a hundred thousand dollars, I'll sign. Uh, it was, it was crazy and they never, never budged from the 75, but you know, I kind of had a conversation with my dad right before, uh, it was the last day of signing and he's like, are you ready to play a professional baseball? And I looked at him and this is the first time I, I literally, you know, told him no. I was like, honestly, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I, I, I've never left Hawaii. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never been outside of you guys. Like I've always, you know, traveled with my family. I've never done this whole, you know, I, so I just felt like I told him, I was like, you know, I feel like I need some time in college. I need to build that up. And, mm-hmm. you know, from a young age, I think my dad kind of, you know, realized like, okay, you know, this kid is actually paying attention to himself, not, not just looking at, you know, the financial side and understanding that, you know, he needs to grow a little more. So it was one of those things where uh, it was the first time I actually told my dad, you know, just trying to be a man and, you know, make an actual grown up decision. So it was pretty cool. That takes a, I mean, that's a, that's a good feather in your cap. Not all the guys have that, you know, that, um, I guess maturity at that level to make that statement. You see so many kids. I mean, you see them every year. I'm sure when you when you get to spring training, you know, 18 year olds that are totally unprepared for for that world. Exactly. And I told him too, I was going to be that guy. You know, <laughs> just knowing from me in a mental standpoint and and not having any you know idea of what it was going to be like in pro baseball. I, I told my dad after my first spring training, I was like, I'm so glad I never signed out of high school because I wouldn't have made it. 
But, but you know, you talked about it like tough transitions, but like, I'll be honest with you, like looking at your numbers, it's they're they're comic book. Like you dominated every level. So he said you hit 600 as a high school senior. And then between both your time at the university of Hawaii and your, your season in the Cape, you never hit below 341. And then you go to major league baseball or professional baseball, your first Uh minor minor league season, you hit 335 and your second, you hit 287 at double a at age 22, you go to the fall, fall league and hit 324 go to triple uh, a and hit three Oh three and go to the big leagues at age 22 and you're in the world series at 23. So I'm, I'm curious, yeah. like what made you a big leaguer so quickly? You know, what allowed you to skip, skip levels? Like, was there, was it just that you didn't see an adjustment or you are, you were ahead of the game in terms of anticipating those changes? Um, you know, honestly, man, I just felt like I didn't see the adjustment right away. It was kind of, you know, I, I knew my game at a very young age. I knew, you know, what made me successful and I stuck to it. Um, you know, and it was, it was just something that I knew I was really good at just, you know, making contact with the baseball. And I lived and died by that. I mean, you can tell by, you know, my career, I, I wasn't a big, you know, power guy, you know, but I was a guy who was gap to gap, you know, put up good, you know, average numbers and, you know, just knew who I was. And I think, you know, that was a big thing. But, you know, when you get to the big leagues and you got all the lights and, yeah. you know, you got all the superstars up there, you try to emulate your game after those guys. And, you know, that was kind of the little downfall of my game in the beginning of my career was, you know, I wanted to be the Mike Trout. You know, I wanted to be the Yasiel Puig and make a splash right away. But that just, that wasn't me, you know. Even even getting to college, was there an adjustment period? Or do you do you feel like that was a smooth transition? Cause I know you no, had, it definitely you, was an adjustment you, you, you period. Cha- you changed positions, correct, when you got yes. there? Okay. Yeah, so I caught I caught my whole life up until you know my senior year of high school, uh, freshman year coming to college. I really didn't know if I was going to play that year, but we because I was brought in to be a second baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the coach saw me and was like, you know, you're not going to be a catcher. You're you're probably going to be a good second baseman. I was like, all right, cool. So I get there my freshman year and find out we have two redshirt seniors who are playing second base. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh no, this is not good. But we didn't have a center fielder. Mm-hmm. So uh, coach goes, hey, listen, you know, you're you're obviously doing good. Like I was killing. Uh, fall ball. He's like, you're obviously doing good in fall ball. You know, we don't have a position for you, you know, but we don't have a center fielder. Can you do the position? And I was like, absolutely, man, put me out there. You know, so it was one of those things where, you know, I just took to center field and, you know, really bought into it just like second base, man. I felt like, you know, after that freshman year, you know, he was like, okay, these guys are gone. You say here's second base, take over it. And uh, it was just one of those things where I think I, you just got to buy into the situation that you put in. That's like a, a Craig Biggio track record right there. C- catcher, second base, and center in the same career. <laughs> yeah, crazy, man. So we'll go back. Obviously, you, you played in the big leagues uh, and and went to the World Series in 2013. But mm-hmm. the following year, your first year in the big leagues, you struggled in the first month of the season and wound up going back yeah. to AA. Um, yeah. You know, you read up on it. And they say there was a modified swing. Um, then you came back up and you were National League Rookie of the Month in, in May when you hit 333. So what was the, was it some of the stuff you just talked about? Were there actually some pronounced swing changes that you had to make? Yeah, you know, those, it was definitely some swing changes I had to make. You know, I, I tell everybody this every single time, like, man, 95 in the big leagues compared to 95 in AAA is a big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, like just the amount, like the velo for some reason, the balls back then were, were different. Mm-hmm. And then just the atmosphere, you know, it just speeds everything up on you and, um, you know, I knew that when I went, when I got sent down that first year, I was like, okay, I got to shorten a lot of things up. You know, obviously I'm, I'm too big right now. I'm trying to do too much. I'm trying to make a splash. I got to shorten things up. And, you know, I was able to kind of do that my next time up. And, uh, you know, it's just been a learning curve ever since. That's awesome, man. Um, and it's cool. I think for guys to, you know, to express that kind of humility, like, it, it, because yeah. it, it, the game will humble you quick, regardless of what level you're at. Right. Absolutely. 
Um, so let, let's talk a little bit more about like the defensive side of the game. Cause I think that's what you're really known for. Um, yeah. you know, you're Rawlings gold glove winner in 19, you finished second in 2018. Um, but what I think is really cool about it. Obviously you, this is a, not your natural position, right? You had to make mm-hmm. a change at a pretty high level, but yeah. I think it's also neat is you can go back through your defensive numbers over the course of your career and see how you you've improved as a second baseman. So like yeah. as, as a frame of reference, 2015, you played 1278 innings and it was a, a, a seven defensive run save season. Um, mm-hmm. You were kind of a, a those numbers are, are good. They're a little bit more middle of the pack. Um, yeah. And they, and they tried to move you back to the outfield. It sounds like after that. Yeah. Or or I got, I, yeah. I got sent down. Uh, I think it was in 2015. Mm-hmm. Got sent down again. Uh, and this time Carpenter was kind of like coming off his all-star year. You know, he, he didn't really have a position and he was just kind of at second base. Mm-hmm. So they kind of tried to, I guess Rand, it was me and Randall, it was between me and Randall Grichik on who was going to get sent down next. And I got sent down and I started killing it in AAA again. I was hitting like 400, I think, when I was down there. Uh, had a bunch of home runs. And then, uh, one of the days I called into the office and the, the manager, actually Mike Schill at the time, you know, he goes, Hey, you know, uh, I just got a call from the guys upstairs. They want to know if you're interested in playing the outfield. And I looked at him I'm like, listen, if that is what it takes for me to get back to the big leagues, I'll play wherever you guys want me to play. Like if it's the outfield, fine. You know, I, I'll do it. Like I've done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it should take a little bit, but I know I'll be ready to go. And, uh, you know, just a matter of, I think four or five games and I was back in the big leagues, uh, playing center field and playing just kind of every position at that point. I'm curious. You mentioned that, you know, obviously it's a big change going to center field in college and you, you talked about 95 being difference in triple A versus the big leagues. Is center field mm-hmm. in the big leagues dramatically different than in college? Oh man. Just park, yeah. <laughs> park, park dimensions and obviously ball off the bat is a lot harder. Things like yes. that. Absolutely. I mean, just trying to pick up that fly ball coming through the stands, you know, was, was some of the toughest things. But I just, the, the hardest thing that I found was that hard line drive at you. Yeah. You know, where you're trying to, you're trying to determine whether that's a ball or someone's t-shirt or, you know, a head. And it was just, it was crazy. Like I, I had a newfound respect for outfitters after that because I was like, man, you know, that's, that's tough being able to read that. And, you know, you got all these guys yelling at you. So you're trying to just hear the ball because, you know, as a defender, you know, if you hear the, the, you know, the ball off the bat, you're going to tell, whether or not it's hard hit or not. And, you know, with all these noises and stuff, and it was, it was a tough, tough job at first trying to figure out how to, you know, do that. But I, you know, it was, it was one of those things where like riding a bike, you know, it takes a little bit, but once I was able to kind of key in on some, on some key tips from, you know, some of my teammates, uh, it made it a lot easier. Yeah. And then what's cool about it is you came back to the infield in 16 and 17. Obviously there was, there were some injuries. There was just shoulder, elbow, hammy, kind of some tough yeah. luck there. But what's cool is you came back on a, on a totally different level in 18 and 19. You had 16 yeah. and 19 defensive run saves respectively. Like as a frame of reference for people listening to this, like that just about doubled the number two second baseman is Ozzy Albies, who finished mm-hmm. second on that this year. So I'm, I'm curious. What made you effectively twice as good a second baseman as anybody else in the game, you know, when you came back? Like, was there a change to yeah. range? Was it the hands? Was it the throw tool? What was it? Um, You know, it was just a lot of self-evaluation. I always tell people, man, like when I when I talk to kids, I always tell them they need to be good at self-evaluators because that's the biggest thing. You know, you got to be, you know, true to yourself. And, and you know, you got to have tough conversations with yourself sometimes, too. And it was one of those things where. I told myself, like, I was watching videos of my defense, and I was like, man, like, I can be better than this. Like, I'm not doing, you know, the necessary things to get better. So I would sit down with, you know, Ozzy Smith, and mm-hmm. I would sit down with Jose Okendo mm-hmm. and just talk to them about, like, you know, what was their mentalities and, you know, how were they attacking baseballs? And just, like, you know, picking up little things and little hints and uh, just kind of turned it into my own. You know, and yeah. it was one of those things yeah. where 
I talked to some of those guys and they were always like, you know, you got to know what pitch is coming. You know, that's the biggest thing that they would always tell me is you got to, you know, you and the catcher need to always have an idea of what you guys, you know, what's going on with the pitcher. Because, you know, because what the pitcher is going to do is going to determine where these guys are going to hit the baseball. And, uh, you know, after that, it was kind of, you know, almost like that light bulb going off my head. I was like, holy smokes. Okay. You know, so in spring training in, in seven or 18, I started really taking to that. And then, uh, you know, having conversations with Yachty about, you know, different things and what I'm supposed to look for, you know, with hitters, you know, and you started realizing, okay, if I pay attention to these guys' hands, you know, or, you know, point of contact, I can really see, you know, what they're going to do. You know, there's all, in the big leagues, there's really good hitters who stay through the zone really well, you know, but, you know, in a certain situation, guys are going to try and get big, guys are going to do too much, you know, and you start to pick up, you know, little tendencies that guys do. And it was one of those things where it started, you know, taking my game to a whole other level when I was able to, you know, know a pitch is coming. You know, know the hitter, you know, understand his tendencies on each pitch. And, uh, you know, it just kind of allowed my game to go to that next step. I think that's the thing that the casual fan doesn't understand. And to be honest, I didn't understand until I was more kind of inside of baseball is, you know, you see a yeah. spectacular play on Sports Center, And a lot of time that play was spectacular because either A, the guy took a terrible route to it. B, you know, his, his range wasn't good, so he had to make a diving play, whereas someone else would have made it. And like, like, um, Addison Russell's a guy who's, who's known for really having like incredible range. Like, yeah. you know, so you don't see him make dramatically impressive plays. So, um, I, I'm curious, do you, do, where do you feel like the biggest change were? Was it to that range factor? Um, you know, it, it seems like that would be the one that would be most heavily impacted by all this. Absolutely. I mean, it definitely was. I think, you know, once you understand, you know, hitters tendencies and you, you just know like what they're going to do. It increases your range tremendously. You know, yep. I think the more years I had in the big leagues, you know, I started learning guys. I started understanding what guys do, you know, in, I mean, situations too, you know, you understand, you know, big league hitters know how to execute situations really well, you know, so playing to that situation really helped me as well as, as with my defense, you know, like I would try and think, okay, down first, you know, two, one, there's a good chance they're going to hit a run right here. So maybe we should, we should switch up the D and, you know, it just kind of, it really makes your game go to that next level because you're so focused on every single situation that you're just locked in on every everything and ready for anything to happen, you know? Absolutely. Now, I'm curious, did you did you actually change anything to your pre-pitch setup? Like, I know some guys, you know, obviously there are people who are flat foot, not ideal. Uh, yeah. You know, there are guys that have like a subtle creep in. There are guys that have like a mini hop. There's a guy who have, you know, more kind of like almost a pronounced jump if you look at like Pedroia in his heydays. Um, yeah. like, have you evolved in that regard over the years? Absolutely. I tried all of them. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd watch him. You know, Brandon Phillips was a guy I watched a lot. Um, you know, you just try to figure out ways for you to get quicker, better jumps. And, you know, so I, I really got drawn to the Pedroia jump. Yep. And, uh, you know, for me, it's not as much of a jump anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I tried, you know, doing the high jump like he did, but for yeah. me, it's, it's just kind of staying more in an athletic position. Yep. You know, it was like I wanted to jump up and land in a more athletic position than being stuck flat foot, like you How said. How it's timed, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and is that, is there a, a place for like, I'm curious, you know, now that you've gotten to this level, how much are you actually going out and taking ground balls during VP and all that? Is it a, is it an everyday oh. thing for you or is it, it's something that you can hold on to if you take a couple of days off? Yeah, no, it's an everyday thing for me, basically. I mean, unless it's a day game, you know, we just come off a night game then I might take the day off, but I try to get out there every single day. You know, it's just, it's like warming up, you know, you got to warm up your eyes, you got to warm up your hands, you know, you got to get everything going for that game. You can't just come in there and expect to make plays. You know, I feel like that's, you know, some of the the biggest question I ask, like, you know, how do you make those plays? It's like, I practice them. You know, I practice yeah. the glove flips. You know, I practice diving for baseballs. Um, you know, I don't care where we're at. I don't care who's watching me. You know, if there's kids watching me and they see me dying for a baseball, they're going to be like, wow, you know, what am I doing? Why am I not dying for a baseball? You know, like, I tell these kids all the time, like, like I'll, I'll die for a baseball. I'll sound be like, you see, if I'm, why am I dying for a baseball and you kids aren't? 
Like, why are you guys not doing that? Like, you guys, you guys want to take my position. You guys want to play second base in the big leagues. How are you going to beat me out if you won't even die for baseball? You know, and it's one of those oh, things where you tell these kids and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you know what? And then you start seeing them, you know, lock it in. You start seeing them, you know, want to die for baseball, want to get after them. Like, that's the mentality you got to have every single time. Yeah. You got to want, like, I tell everybody, every, like, dude, I expect to catch everything that's hit my way. Mm-hmm. Will I catch it? Probably not, but I'm going to give you everything I got. Like, I'm diving for everything. Even balls that I know I probably won't get to, I'm going to dive just in case. Like, I want to show these hitters, like, dang, I don't want to hit it that way. I like it. Now, I'm actually, I'm curious, like, in an off-season setup, one of the things that always, like, jumps out at me with position players is, you know, you see all these guys that are, like, gung-ho, they're ready to swing, like, November 1st, you know, the season, <laughs> like, three weeks before, and they're, yeah. they're total cage rats. Um, you very rarely see guys go out and start taking ground balls prior to, I mean, it's, like, January 1st. So, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like, do you, do you get out there and do stuff earlier? When do you actually like to get going with that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to get out pretty early. Luckily, you know, like you said, I'm, you know, I'm from Hawaii, just like Florida, yeah. we're sunny all the time, so I can get out whenever I want. And my dad, um, you know, he's a hitting instructor, you know, back, nice. you know, where I'm from. So, you know, batting cages, fields are all accessible to us at any time. So, you know, I love being out there taking ground balls. I love having kids, you know, from my island come over to take ground balls because I want to show these kids, like, you know what, man, like, I want to teach you guys. Like, me and my brother, we always try to bring, you know, some high school kids out with us or college guys who come back just so that we can constantly try and, yeah. you know, keep this tradition of getting kids to that next level. Yeah, that's the thing you see in the Hawaiian cultures. There's a big time pay it forward. You guys, kind of, it's kind of like the knuckleballers. You guys all stick together, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's not even the kids in Hawaii only. Like, I love yeah. that for any kid. Like, I always yeah. tell people, I'm like, man, I'm so blessed to be in the situation that I'm in right now. Like, all I want to do is pass it forward. Like, I've learned all this knowledge through all these Hall of Famers, through all these really good ball players, mm-hmm. and I'm able to put it in my own words that might be able to help these kids understand a little more, you know? Like, yeah. sometimes yeah. When, a, when a Hall of Famer will talk to you, it's like, whoa. Like, is that even English? <laughs> you know, like they're just so far advanced, but you know, maybe how I say it might be able to, you know, click with these guys a little more and take them to another level. And, and, you know, that's all it's about is just keeping this game going and keeping, you know, tradition of baseball, you know, alive and well. I like it. You literally stole my next question. So let's, let's talk about it <laughs> for young, young players who want to yeah. become better defenders. Where, where do you start? What's the, when you're working with those kids back home in Hawaii in the off season, what, what's the lowest hanging fruit in terms of things that they can do to improve defensively? Uh, one of the biggest things, man, I, I learned from watching a lot of kids is kids don't know how to catch balls with one hand. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the biggest thing I learned. So I tell all these kids, you know, when we first start taking ground balls, you know, early in January when I was like, listen, don't even touch your right hand. Like, we're only using our glove, you know, because mm-hmm. once you understand the ability to use your glove, you start learning, okay, I'm way more athletic with one hand than I am with two. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the biggest misconception a lot of kids have is they think, man, I can – I can sit there and I can catch balls with two hands, but you know, anything to your left or right that you have to move, you got to be able to use your, you know, one hand. And, um, that, you know, I've really started implementing with a lot of kids and it takes them a long time to understand. You know, it's funny you say that now here, we're talking in 2020. I, I'll never forget. Kevin Euclid has told me the exact same thing and he, he won a gold glove. At wow. Moving from third base to first base, and you it always drove them bonkers when they talk, told kids like catch with two hands. Like, and he said the exact same thing: um, mm-hmm. is that it's drilled into your mind at a young age, you know, just so you can catch the ball. But you're not going to inherently do anything spectacular if, if if you got both hands stuck. Absolutely, and that's where all your errors come from too. As long as you, when you're always trying to get in front of a baseball, you're never going to be able to get in front of every single baseball. You know, so I always tell people if it's not right at me, I'm using one hand. You know, that just keep makes me more athletic. It allows me to flow with the baseball if it does take a bad hop. And, uh, you know, it just, it gives you that extra range, that extra yeah. step that people always are trying to find out. 
And, well, and, you, and you think about it, right? In your, in your quest sometimes to get in front of a baseball makes you rigid on athletic. That's a ball that yep. maybe you knock down with one hand that instead gets through you. And that runner that's at second, you know, he's, he's home instead of stopping at third. Exactly. So, all right, let's, uh, let, let's nerd out a little bit. So this is a Rawlings sponsored podcast. I know you're a Rawlings guy. Let's talk oh, about yeah. your glove. If you want a gold glove, like you're an infielder, you've got to have some like crazy elaborate superstitions for how you break it in how you care yeah. for it. All right. So you get a brand new glove shipped to you. First off, how often do you get a new glove? Or will you rotate it frequently? Or are you a, a guy? Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a new glove every year kind of guy. Okay. I, I like one glove per year. And then, uh, you know, I retire that glove at the end of the season. Nice. And so when it comes, how long, I know, cause I got a new catcher's mitt and I'm, I'm yeah. pulling, pulling what's left of my hair out, out as I try to break it in. Uh, <laughs> so how long does it take you? What's your process when it arrives? Takes me a pretty, you know, it takes me probably until the start of spring training. Those gloves are, you know, they're, they're good leather, so they're not ever bad. You know, I don't use the pro preferred though. I'm more of a heart of the hide guy because I just feel like, you know, heart of hide, it breaks in quicker and it's also, you know, it's just as good leather as pro preferred. It's not, you know, the best, but, you know, I just started watching a lot of guys and looking at a lot of really good infinite gloves and a lot of guys use heart of the hide. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe I'll do that. But <clears throat> for me, I always say, you know, my glove is just, you know, an extension of my hand, you know, so I don't try to, you know, a lot of guys love to do this flare or they like to, you know, use all these, you know, weird shapes. I always tell people, you look at, you know, the best, look at Arenado, you look at his glove, you know, it's not flared out. It's not, you know, curved in it. it it's just an extension of his fingers. And that's how it's supposed to be at the end of the day. You know, you're basically feeling the ball with your hand. It's just padding on top. And, um, you know, that, that's been the biggest thing with me is like when I, even when I, like I never squeeze my gloves, I never try to squeeze my gloves. I always want them to break in naturally and, you know, being a second baseman, you're never supposed to squeeze your glove anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think that's the biggest thing. People always, I'm always like freak out when I tell them, like, yeah, man, I don't really use anything to break in my glove, but just, you know, allowing it to naturally close on its own. I like to stand by the machine and let the machine hit the, or the ball hit the, my glove and just, you know, it'll naturally close and, uh, it creates that natural pocket right where it should be. And, um, uh, you know, the fingertips, I just want them flat. I like it. All right. So actually I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, uh, you know, and this is a more of like a strength editioning question is, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, you're a guy now who's, you know, you've been through some injuries, you played 150 games in 2015 and then in 16, 17, the, the injury bug bit you just a little bit. Um, yeah. and then here in 2019, you played 148, which is a heck mm-hmm. of a lot of, of, of days on your feet at second base. I'm curious, yeah. what, what lessons have you learned on the physical side of things in terms of, you know, you're, you're all you're going to be 30 here pretty soon. You're not there yet, yeah. but, um, what have you learned on the physical side of things for making yourself durable over the course of a long season, particularly playing a position where you're on your feet all day? Yeah. Um, you know, I started, I, I was always a gym rat growing up. My dad, you know, always had weights at the house and, um, you know, I just loved lifting weights. I loved getting after in the gym and, you know, in, co- in college, I was all about, you know, putting on weight, getting strong. And, you know, I kept that mentality basically until 2017 mm-hmm. and I started getting that injury but like you said and I started getting hurt all these weird little injuries I remember like you know like a little like pinch nerve in my elbow where it didn't even allow me to extend my arm and I was like what is this like yeah, yeah. and it, you know I started like reading up on you know like Tom Brady was somebody I looked up you know a lot because I was like okay this guy is about to be almost 50 years old <laughs> and he's still doing it in the NFL like wait, mm-hmm. how is he doing this and you know he talked about pliability Mm-hmm. And the ability, you know, to be strong with strength or, I mean, to be flexible in, in strength. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you know, there's something with that. So I started, you know, really looking into this and I had a trainer back at University of Hawaii mm-hmm. who was a huge gym rat with me. He used to, I used to live with him all, I used to lift with him all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to get after it all the time. And, uh, he turned it, he turned, you know, from being that guy into being into yoga. And I was like, wow, 
I don't understand this. So I called him up one day. I'm like, yo, what, what is this? Why are you doing yoga right now? And he's like, man, I promise you, like, I know people talk, you know, have a lot of, you know, weird, you know, things about yoga and, and, you know, they don't understand it, but the strength you get from yoga, it's different, you know, and I started doing it with them and I started understanding, man, I have so much weaknesses all over my body. Like, yeah, I can lift weights, but you know what, if I can't lift my body, if I can't even hold my body up, that's something to say. And, uh, you know, I started understanding, okay, you know, this makes a lot of sense for baseball. You know, I'm not running around with weights. I'm running around with my body weight. Okay. Mm-hmm. If I can understand how to strengthen all these little pieces of my body, it's eventually going to keep me from getting hurt. And, you know, I just started learning too. like, okay, you know, I love to put myself in these weird situations to make plays. You know, I love diving, coming up and making a weird throw. And I started doing yoga and I was like, oh man, when I'm holding these positions in yoga, a lot of these positions, you know, are coming back to my head. Like I remember when I was in this same spot trying to make a mm-hmm. throw and, you know, it was hurting me. And, uh, you know, now I'm learning like, okay, you know, I can create flexibility and strength, you know, through yoga that's going to help me make these throws. And I'm going to know this position. My body's going to know this position. So it's going to keep me from getting injured. And, uh, you know, ever since then, man, I feel like it's been a huge transition for me, you know, in my game of, of being able to stay healthy and stay strong because now I feel like, you know, my body is, is strong. It's balanced. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's at a place right now where, you know, every single part of my, from my hands, from my fingertips, all to my toes, you know, I, I focus on every part of my body and strengthening everything. Yeah. I mean, it, the, it's borne out by the numbers. It was like a career high and wins above replacement. But I, I think is the most intriguing part for you is you look at stolen bases, right? 2014, mm-hmm. you stole 20, 15, you stole 15, 16, it was seven, 17, it was eight, 18, it was six. And then it was 24 here in 19 in an era where stolen bases are going by the wayside. Um, yeah. So there's something to be said about that aspect of things. So that's very cool. Will you, will you continue to do your yoga stuff in season? Do you do a scaled back version of it? How do you attack it? Yeah. I mean, I try to do it still pretty decently during the season. I just mm-hmm. feel like, you know, that, that ability to, you know, build strength while also stretching and, and, you know, allowing your body to kind of recuperate that way. is huge. And then just from the mental side too, mm-hmm. you know, yoga, it's all about breathing and, and, you know, breathing your way through tough situations, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, holding that one position and you start, you start getting frustrated because it's so sore, you know, it's just like baseball, you know, when you start getting frustrated and, you know, things aren't going your way and, you know, that's just how you kind of go down a slump and you don't get out, you know, so I started kind of, you know, understanding like, okay, if I think about this, this way for baseball, you know, and, and it's just a lot of things, man, that yoga has helped me grow as a baseball player and, and mature as a baseball player. That's awesome. All right, so we're going to have a little fun here. I recently saw a feature on MLB's Instagram, and they actually had Kevin Kiermeyer rank his top defensive plays of all time. And I think it was yeah. – I think he actually had like 10 of them. Here's the thing that I thought was really fascinating about it is, you know, you, you think about him running into walls and going up and robbing home runs. I want to mm. say like three or four of the 10 were actually throws. And to the naked eye, they didn't look like elaborately hard plays. And a lot of times they yeah. were like center fielder running towards first base and then picking a guy off at third on a, yeah. on a one hop. So I'm, I'm actually really intrigued to hear you do the same. What's, what's your best play ever? And it doesn't have to be obviously a throw, but, um, yeah. what do you, what do you think looking back was the one that stands out to you? And we'll have to, we'll have to pull the video when we post this, of course. Yeah. Honestly, man, I think it was that fly ball that Rizzo hit off Wainwright, you know, in, in shallow right that I was kind of playing Rizzo, you know, in the grass and it was over my head. It was literally no man's land. I was running for it, saw that I really wasn't going to get to it. So I just jumped out of the air and stuck my glove up and caught the baseball. It was just like, for me, I thought that, you know, if you're talking about athleticism and uh, that was the most athletic play that I've made, you know, just being able to range back in that situation. I think we were up one nothing in the eighth, you know, with man on second and first. So if I don't catch that ball, we're tied. 
and man on first and third, you know, so it was like, it was such a big situation to make that play and to do it the way I did, man. I was just like, wow, that was, that was awesome. I'm glad all that work that I put in because, you know, you don't really practice that one too much, but uh, for some reason that off season, I practiced balls over my head a lot and you know, was able to make that play. And it was against the Cubs. Let's be honest. That, that makes us stand out <laughs> a little bit more, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice, man. Well, we, what we always do at the end of shows, we do a, a little bit of a lightning round where I, uh, okay. I throw a quick question at you. It can be as long as you want in the answer. So this is one gotcha. to just have fun with. All right. So first thing, uh, who do you like to watch? If you can, uh, if you can turn on Sports Center and see guys making plays, who, who, or you're watching opposing teams, who jumps out yeah. as you got that you would really enjoy seeing? My guy's Francisco Lindor, man. I say it all yeah. the time. I feel like the dude's an absolute stud. You know, doing it from both sides of the plate, and I mean, his defense is platinum, man. It's just, yeah, dude's yeah. A, a fun guy to watch play. Has a lot of fun playing too. That that oh, that part dude. of it's awesome. All right, absolutely. How about advice to a younger Colton Wong? If you could go back in time and talk to you in high school, what would you say? You know, the biggest thing uh, I would tell myself is understand that you know this is all a process. Um, you know, people would tell me that at a young age. You know. Especially when I got to the big leagues, they're like, hey, understand, you know, in the big leagues, it's a process, it's a process. And I'd be like, screw this. What do you mean a process? I'm a big leaguer. I should be able to do this. You know, but understanding, you know, through all this failures and all this struggle, uh, you know, that you're getting better. Uh, you're, you're constantly learning. You're constantly figuring out who you are as a player. And, you know, that was the biggest thing is I finally, you know, maybe it's, you know, getting older or whatnot, but just understanding, man, that, you know, everything in life is a process. You know, obviously you don't know when that process is going to come to the top, but you know that you're still getting better every single day. That's awesome. All right. Uh, favorite teammate of all time. It can be at any level. Okay. Favorite teammate of all time had to be my, my guy, John Jay. Uh, right. took me in at, as soon as I got to the big leagues, he took me under his wing. Uh, you know, really opened my eyes to, you know, baseball on both sides, the physical, the mental side. Um, just was like a bigger brother to me that I never had and, you know, really helped me out of my transition. I like it. Uh, so here's, here's an entertaining one. I got to give a shout out to our Cardinals wives that train with us in the spring. So we, we got a, we've got a good crew. Um, nice. you know, Ponce Leon's wife, uh, Jen's great, Lauren Webb and, and your wife, Alyssa, like you got, you got to throw her a shout out here. She's probably the Ooh. most athletic wife that has ever trained at CSP. So get, you got, you got to share her, her background. She ran track at, at Hawaii. Yes. I've seen legit 30 inch box jumps out of her. So this is the question. Oh. Do you have the most athletic wife in baseball? I think so, man. I'd put her up against a lot of people. Uh, you know, uh, that girl, you know, from a, from a running standpoint, you know, she, even till today, you know, when I do my sprint work and stuff, she's always there helping me out. Uh, I tell her, I was like, you know, you got really good form. So, you know, whatever kind of help you can take me through, it'd be amazing. You know, a college athlete, uh, you know, somebody who, you know, she's pretty good at everything too. I mean, we were out there hitting a wiffle ball machine the other day and she was out there with me hitting line drives. And I'm like, yo, where is this coming from? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'll put her up against a lot of other, otherwise for sure. Oh, and that's big, man. You got to have someone that's, that's like fully supportive of the cause. I know you guys eat well, mm-hmm. you train hard together. Like that's, yep. that's an important thing. People don't realize how important that support system is. Oh man, it's huge. All right. So actually I'm, this is one I'm, I'm really curious about. So when, when you kind of read your bio, obviously your, your dad is a, a, you know, not just a, a father, but also as like a, a training mentor jumps out. And yep. one of the things that I've been really surprised on since we started this podcast is, how many parents and kids listen to this together? Like they're in the car on the way to train or on the way to a yeah. game or whatever it is. Um, so I'm curious, you know, obviously you're still training with your dad when you go back to Hawaii in the off season. What are the yep. things that you think, I mean, we see a lot of fractured relationships between kids and parents because dad pushes too hard. He wants it more than the kid does. What mm-hmm. do you think some of the things your dad did well on that front, you know, over the years that, you know, have allowed you to still have this, you know, really good relationship around baseball and, 
you know, mm. be a scenario where you and your brother are still taking ground balls with him and stuff. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Me and my dad definitely had our blow up, you know, like mm-hmm. it was one of those things, you know, at, at a at certain age, you know, the parent, you know, you got to know, you know, when your kid is kind of at that level where it's time to step back, you know, but uh, so we had, you know, obviously me and my dad, we weren't perfect, you know, but um, you know, the ability for him to just be somebody for me to call, you know, that, that was the biggest thing. Like I call my dad for everything, you know, just if I'm going through a slump or if I'm doing good, you know, he always has something, you know, to tell me. And it's like one of those things where, yeah, we have big league hitting coaches, but my dad has been my hitting coach since I was a little kid, mm-hmm. you know, so this guy knows my swing inside and out better than anybody, you know, so mm-hmm. having that ability, you know, to just bounce ideas back and forth, my dad has been, you know, the biggest thing, you know, obviously dads want the best for their kids, but sometimes I feel like when you watch these dads, they push their kids a little too hard, mm-hmm. you know, and at some point you got to understand that your kid is going to make his own decision, but you yeah. being there and being a, you know, just an ear for him to talk to and, you know, just to be able to bounce ideas back and forth, you know, That's I think awesome. is the That's biggest awesome. thing that I've ever had with my dad. And it's kind of like a parallel to that. You know, when you look back on the coaches that, that made the biggest differences for you, whether that's a, you know, it's a yoga coach, whether it's a baseball coach, whether it's a strength coach, whatever it may be. Yeah. What are the things that you see in them that made them the most impactful? What, what separates them from the people who maybe in, interfere with your development, didn't bring it along the way that you wanted to? Um, what, what do you look for in a coach that you really admire? Uh, the biggest thing that I admire with, with the coaches that, you know, I really believe have helped me in my career was, um, you know, their ability to stay under control in situations, you know, like I would, you know, cause when you're going and you're trying to learn different things, sometimes frustrations, you know, come up and, you know, you get mad and whatnot. And, and, you know, the ability for a coach to sit back and be like, Hey, it's okay. You know, understand that this is all going to work out, you know, instead of the coach trying to just, you know, beat you down the whole time. I think that was the biggest thing for me is understanding that, you know, at a, at, you know, when you're dealing with a kid, you're dealing with a lot of emotion. You're dealing with a lot of, you know, just, I don't even know how to explain it. Just, I mean, the kid is holding himself to such a high standard because all you want to do is, is make your coach and your dad proud or whatever. But um, just being able to to kind of get to that kid's level and be like, hey, it's okay, man. You know, you're going to get it. Uh, was, I mean, it's, it's so, you know, such an easy thing to do. But, you know, people don't realize how important that is for a kid's progression. Oh, no doubt, man. Well, that's a, and that's a good place to end on. So um, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, folks Absolutely. can find you on Twitter. It's at Colton Wong. And on Instagram, it's uh, the Wong1808. Um, again, thanks for taking the time, man. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you soon for a restart of spring training here. And, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you on a major league stage here in no time. I think we're all getting Absolutely, start, start crazy, man. right? Awesome. Absolutely. Thank thanks you for having again. me on, man. Appreciate it. You got it. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP elite baseball development podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email elite baseball podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support and we'll see you next episode.